As we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew, we come once again to this subject matter that is so important in the day that we live, and I'm thankful that we have the Word of God to guide us. We don't have to be ruled by society and dictated to by Hollywood. We have the truth, and the truth shall set us free from all those ways of thinking. We have the truth, and that is God's Word. And so this morning, as we look at the second in a mini-series on marriage and divorce, we're going to ask the question, does God make exceptions to his word? We want to answer this question with basically two points. First of all, the abundant evidence against divorce, and secondly, the alleged exception allowing divorce. Let me read our text first before we get into the message. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea unto Jordan. And great multitudes followed him there, and he healed them. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made him male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. This morning we want to look into God's word and see if God makes exceptions to his word. Now consider that for a moment. If God tells us to be honest and not to lie, what is the exception? Is it okay to lie on your income taxes? Is it okay to lie to keep from hurting someone else's feelings? Is it okay to lie if it's Christmas time? What is the exception? Does God make exceptions to his word? And so we need to consider that today. First of all, notice with me, abundant evidence against divorce. Abundant evidence against divorce. There are five references that deal with this. We'll look briefly at three of them and then the remaining two in our second point. But the first reference is in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 2. Mark 10 and verse 2. Here it says, And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? Now the whole reason for them coming to Christ was to trap him, and because it was a controversial issue, just as it is a controversial issue today. Notice if we read on, verse 3. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And he, they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, 
for the hardness of your heart he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of creation God made him male and female, and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall twain, they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. What where, Therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now clearly, we have a prohibition against divorce. When Jesus makes a statement about divorce that is recorded here by Mark in this passage, whether you are a husband or a wife, when you initiated a divorce, you have sinned against God. I don't think there's any discussion about it. As far as this passage is concerned, it's very clear. Now let's look at another passage. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 18. Luke chapter 16 and verse 18. Notice what it says. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Here's another very clear prohibition against divorce. It's a statement of the Lord Jesus. It's a clear prohibition against marrying someone who has been divorced. And so obviously here in Luke's passage, there's no innocent party as far as Jesus' prohibition about divorce. Whether you are the one who initiates the divorce or the one who has been divorced against your will, it is very clear here that this would not be an acceptable response. And then there's a third passage we want to look at, and that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And beginning throughout this chapter, we have really six options concerning marriage. Six approaches or attitudes toward marriage. Let me give you just a brief rundown of these six options concerning marriage. First of all, we are to reverence marriage. That's given to us in verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning verse 1, it says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto, her, unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with the consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for for your incontinency. If you desire to be married, that's a good thing. It's a right thing. It's an honorable thing. It's a godly thing. God has instituted marriage. He designed it. He desires it. And he describes us uh, exact, to us exactly what it is. And we need to continue to reverence marriage. Now, marriage is not reverenced in our country today. If you work in a secular workplace and you rub elbows with people who have not had the religious training, 
in the background that you've had, you'll find that people are totally unaware about what God says about the sanctity of marriage. In fact, today in our society, to just live together is totally accepted. And it is that no one bats an eye about it. No one even considers that it's something inappropriate. But the Lord says, reverence marriage. And then secondly, in this chapter, beginning in verse 6, and down through verse 8, it says here that we're to remain unmarried. Remain unmarried. This is an option. It says in verse 6, But I speak this by permission and not by commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say, therefore, be to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Even if you have a spouse that's not, excuse me, uh, even if you find yourself in a situation, uh, it is perfectly all right to remain unmarried. Uh, he speaks of those who have never married in verse 40, and they are to remain unmarried. You see, marriage is not a sacrament as prescribed by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it is not necessary uh, a necessary part to earn your way to heaven. And so it's perfectly acceptable to remain unmarried. Uh, there are several situations where one might find themselves uh, where they might remain unmarried. And this chapter refers to them. Uh, it refers to the fact that if you're single, never been married, it's acceptable to remain unmarried. Now, maybe it's not the thing that you desire, but it is acceptable. Uh, also, if your spouse left you, as it says in verse 15, you must remain unmarried. Or even a widow or widower, it's, there's nothing wrong with remaining unmarried. A third option you find in verses 12 and 13. In verse 12 it says, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believe not, believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Here the option is to remain in the union. Even if you have a spouse that's not saved, one of your options is to remain married. Now, I've been married for 43 years, and I'm amazed that my wife has stuck with me that long. Isn't the grace of God something wonderful? And that's the only explanation I can get. It's the give. It's the grace of God. What a blessing to remain married. Now, throughout the stages of our married life, our young married life, as we looked forward to spending our lives together, and then our years of raising children with all that goes with that, the diapers, the bumps, and the bruises, the schooling, and so on. And now the kids are grown and out of the, on their own. What a blessing it is to remain married. The fourth option is to return to the union. If we go back to verse 11, and it says here, but... And if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Here the option is to return to the union. If someone should depart, then there is an opportunity to return to the marriage. 
a reconciliation. Now, we mentioned this last week. Submission is not slavery. But someone might ask, well, what about the abused? What if a woman's life is in danger? Would you say that she had to stay in the house with that abusive husband? And I would say, no, she doesn't need to stay in the house. In fact, he probably needs to be arrested. He's committed a crime if he's assaulted her. He needs to be dealt with in the very strictest manner. But she doesn't need to stay in the house, but she does need to stay in the marriage. So how can there be a reconciliation if the relationship is totally annihilated? So what's wrong with forgiveness? You know, oftentimes people will say, but they were unfaithful. You know, unfaithfulness is obviously a great sin. What about the joy of forgiveness? What about being like God? What about exercising the joy that's described for us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 where we could be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. I have sinned against my wife many times, and I'm sure vice versa. And that's what makes for a lasting relationship is the willingness to, to forgive. Let me read a quote from a newly saved woman who was about to get a divorce. She said this, I only knew two scriptures at the beginning, but they were exactly what I needed. One was, God is not a man that he should lie, found in Numbers 23 and verse 19. And the other, with God, nothing shall be impossible, found in Luke 1, 37. And with those truths as a foundation, I began to study the Bible, desperately trying to dig out God's purpose for marriage and all that he had to say about it. And I found out for myself that if I were to obey him, then I would have to become committed to my marriage and to my husband, even though he was involved with another woman and we were on the verge of divorce. Coming to this decision didn't make things any easier emotionally at first. But it did show me a clear path of action. And the situation actually became less complicated because there was no more confusion about what to do. I refused to sign the divorce papers. I had gathered evidence identifying the other woman and proving my, uh, my husband's unfaithfulness. I destroyed it all. I didn't need it anymore. Well, someone might say, you know, I just couldn't forgive someone of such an awful sin. Well, God forgave you, did he not? Remember, we talked about how marriage is a picture of the high view of Christ's love for the church. A love that was so great that he was willing to die for you and for me. And if you're looking at marriage from the standpoint that it's going to be perfect, and there's never going to be any problems, and there's no, never going to be any conflict, well, you're in for a sad realization. And that is why when conflict comes and people have the wrong approach and the wrong attitude, they look to dissolve it instead of resolve it. And so an option is to return to the union. Number five. Number five is reach the unsaved. And we look down in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 16. And it says, What knowest thou, O wife, 
whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Here we're, we have the option, option to use the opportunity to reach the un, unsaved. Now, young people, you should never date someone who's not saved. And then you won't find yourself in this situation. You shouldn't date someone that you would not marry. And if it is a resolve in your heart that you will not marry someone who's divorced, then you're not going to date someone who is divorced. Nor should you marry someone who is lost. Therefore, will you not date someone who is lost? But the Bible speaks very clearly about using every opportunity we have to reach the unsaved. And then number six is resist the unsaved. Resist the unsaved. Now here we go to a, another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 which I believe speaks to this very clearly. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Don't even consider someone who is unsaved. Some people say, Well, I'm going to get them saved if I date them or if I marry them. No, that's not usually the way it works. The point of all this is to show that there are, is abundant evidence found in the New Testament against divorce. Now if we go back to Matthew chapter 5 and also chapter 19, you may want to hold your, your place there in those two chapters. Let's look at the alleged exception for allowing divorce. The alleged exception for allowing divorce. So often people have looked at these verses without considering some very important principles of Bible study. They must be taken in the context of the chapter, in the context of the book, and in the context of the entire Bible. In chapter 5 and verse 31 and 32, notice what it says. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife saving for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. In the middle of verse 32, it seems like there would be an exception. He uses the phrase saving for the cause of fornication. Now, if we go back to Matthew chapter 19, in which we have already read uh, in our uh, scripture reading, we notice there it seems in verse 9 to make that same exception. It says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. Again, does God make exceptions? And I want us to notice here what Jesus is teaching us about marriage. First of all, God, or Jesus, calls marriage permanent. Jesus calls marriage permanent. In chapter 19 and verse 4, there's this question that Jesus asked, and he says, Have you not read? Have you not read the scriptures? 
Don't you know what God's word says? And he says this is a permanent relationship. He speaks about leaving and believing. I think it's interesting in chapter 19 and verse 4, he says, first of all, believe. He says, uh, he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made him male and female? He says, don't, haven't you read what God has said? Don't you believe what God is saying to you? Don't you know? You see, these Pharisees that he was talking to were supposed to be great scholars. They were supposed to believe God and what God said. And then he talks about leaving, as we referred to last week. Uh, we spoke of leaving the parents and becoming independent of the parents' control, but still interested in the parents' counsel. And then he talks about cleaving, that is to be welded, to be glued together, to be united to the mate until death do us part as is included in the traditional marriage vows. But the Pharisees were trying to tempt him, as it tells us in verse 3. They were trying to entrap him. But Jesus makes it clear that he calls marriage permanent. Secondly, Jesus calls for purity. Again, we go back to chapter 5 and verse 27. It says there, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. And then he adds in verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now we have a choice. Whose side do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the Pharisee's side or do you want to be on God's side? Do you want to find a way to weasel out or to tempt or to find a way possible to trap the Lord and try to get him to contradict what he's already said? Now that doesn't seem feasible or logical. And looking at the Bible as a whole, God obviously sanctifies marriage as a wonderful institution. But what about this matter of the exception? Well, we need to understand the Jewish customs and practices. Notice that in Matthew, this is the only place where we find this exception included. Matthew was written to the Jews, and he includes the exception clause. Mark was not written to the Jews, but rather to the Romans. And you will find no exception clause in Mark. Luke was not written to the Jews, but rather to the Greeks. Once again, no exception clause. He speaks of marriage, but he doesn't talk about this so-called exception. What was it about the Jews that they needed this clarification? Well, I believe Christ was giving a defense of his own mother and his own virgin birth. Now, the betrothal period that we understand is a part of the Jewish custom was clearly and widely understood by those to whom Matthew was writing. And in understanding the betrothal custom, there are four facts that we can see about this betrothal period. Now, this is what we would correlate with our engagement period. And there's just a rough correlation there because that's about where the correlation ends. But look at these four facts with me. Fact number one. 
It's after the agreement of marriage has been made. It's after the agreement of marriage has been made. The arrangement, whether it was done by the parents or in conjunction with the couple, there is an agreement. They had decided together that there would be a joining together or a new family unit. So this betrothal period started with this agreement and then it would continue on perhaps even a year or more. Second fact concerning the betrothal period. All of the Jewish people considered the couple to be husband and wife. It was a general understanding that even during this engagement or betrothal period, they were considered to be husband and wife, but they were not married. Fact number four, they were apart from each other. It was a time of preparation. They continued to live with their parents and they lived separate from one another. And then fact number four, it was a time of abstaining from a physical relationship. And although they were considered husband and wife, there had not been a joining together in a physical bond or a consummation of the relationship in that way. So those four facts about the Jews' custom of how they came to be husband and wife. Now, why is that significant? Well, I believe it's significant because Jesus is addressing the very custom when talking about this exception in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. Look again at Matthew 5 and verse 32. Matthew 5 and verse 32. Notice what it says. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. He's saying there is an occasion or an opportunity for the engagement or the betrothal to be broken. Now, it would be good to have a Bible illustration of this, wouldn't it? Illustrations from God's Word, I think, hold a lot of weight. Is there such a Bible illustration? Could you find anywhere in the Bible where there was a couple who had been promised to one another, who had been betrothed to one another, the agreement had been made, and during this time they were separated, they were apart, is there anywhere in the Bible where two people were considered to be husband and wife, but they abstained from a sexual relationship? Could you possibly think of an example of this? Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at an example of this taking place. I think it's great that God gives us examples of his truth. And so when Matthew was giving Jesus words concerning marriage, he also gives us a wonderful example for us. And so here we find an example in Matthew 1 and verse 18. Matthew 1 and verse 18. It says there, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused. The word espoused there is a very clear distinction. This is an espousal or betrothal period. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So during this betrothal period, after the agreement was made, they were apart from one another. They had been abstaining from sexual relationships. 
and they were considered by all to be husband and wife. Notice what verse 19 says. In verse 19 it says, Then Joseph her husband. Now wait a minute. Were they living together under the same roof? No. So why was he considered to be her husband? Because it was a part of the Jewish custom and understanding that they were considered and given the title of husband. You'll notice that married is also given the title of wife in verse 20. But let's go back to verse 19. Verse 19 says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away. What does that mean? That means divorce her. Put her away means divorce. Joseph said, this is tragic. My fiance is pregnant. Now a thinking man discovering the pregnancy of his fiance, knowing that he had not been with her, would automatically assume that she had committed fornication. She had been unfaithful. And he is saying here, my choice is clear. I can divorce her using the Jewish custom. I can break this betrothal agreement. And notice what he was doing. He was thinking about these things. In verse 20, it says, but while he thought on these things. So what was he thinking about? He was thinking about how to give Mary the divorce. How was he going to go about it? He had two choices, publicly or privately. He could make her a public example that was permitted within the Jewish law. He could have her publicly humiliated and brought her out for all to see. Or he could have done it privately. And he was thinking about, what should I do? I think it's interesting that verse 19 describes Joseph as what kind of man? Notice it there. A just man. Does it mean that he, it was acceptable about what he was thinking? When he was thinking about putting away Mary, was it acceptable in the eye of God? Yes. Why? Because he's a just man. This is totally, absolutely acceptable. As a matter of fact, it was so acceptable that the Lord had to send an angel to intervene. And so he did. <coughs> So we see that Mary and Joseph were espoused. We see that Mary and Joseph had not yet come together. Verse 18 is very clear about that. Also, it tells us that he had abstained from any kind of intimate relationship. Verse 25 says, And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. By the way, the angel says the very same thing in verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. So we know that Mary and Joseph had, had, had not had a physical relationship. You see, if you give up on that point, you give up on the virgin birth. And that is the reason that Jesus felt it so necessary to be clearly explaining in the customs of the Jewish people that there was no impropriety in the relationship between Mary and Joseph. And so this is very carefully given to us here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And Jesus refers to it again in chapter 5 and then again in chapter 19. Now, this is not a general exception for all people. This is not saying that if two people are married, 
and one of them is unfaithful, then the other can divorce them. Remember, this was written specifically to the Jews. It was an explanation of the Jewish custom during that betrothal period, allowing there to be a breach in that agreement in the case of unfaithfulness. Now, in order to break this betrothal period, he would have to give her a divorce. And Joseph was trying to decide, do I do it publicly or privately? And the angel came and intervened. What a wonderful, beautiful example that is of God's intervention for us and how God's plan works marvelously in every detail. Now in chapter 5 and verse 32, we notice the word fornication, saving for the cause of fornication. Notice the Lord did not use the word adultery. He used the word fornication or in the Greek, pornea. Pornea is a word that means all kinds of sexual conduct. It could include homosexual conduct. It could include incestuous marriages, I, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It could include all kinds of wicked, vile immorality. And we would generally think of it as sex before marriage. He did not use the word adultery that would have specifically referred to an improper relationship after marriage. And specifically, he called it, or gave, would have given it that connotation. It's interesting that we often look for ways in societies to make it easy to sin, to make it easy to do what we want. Years ago, I made the decision that I would never divorce. I made the decision that I would never encourage anyone to divorce. And when you allow the sanction of divorce in your own mind, you open up two very inappropriate opportunities. It's either going to be an action you may take or it's an advice you will give. It becomes advice you will give. God does not give exceptions to what he has prohibited. And I believe this is clear, logical, biblical understanding. We can use this as a crutch to do what we will or we can accept it as a face, at face value as the literal sense as Jesus so intended. The choice is yours, and I know what my choice is. I wonder if you do. Listen, this morning, for those of you who are unsaved, God loves you, and he gave his son to die for you. Trust Christ as your Savior today. For those who are saved, God loves you, and he wants you to obey his word, and to walk in sweet fellowship with him. For those of you who are unmarried, God loves you, and he wants you to follow his word in choosing a life's mate. He wants you to know that marriage is for keeps. And for those who are married, God loves you, and he hates divorce. He wants a home where the husband submits to Christ's authority, where the wife is in submission to her husband's authority, and the children are submissive to their parents. He wants your marriage to be permanent. And for those who are divorced, God loves you, and he wants you to know that his word is still true today. God's will is not for you to remarry, but to submit to his authority and for you to serve him. If divorce has taken place, all family energy and effort must be poured into the care and training of the children. If there are no children, then life is now to be lived for the Lord, maybe as a single person, to hope and to pray and to trust for reconciliation with the first mate. If reconciliation is impossible, 
then a close walk with Christ will be necessary. With diligent search for spiritual activity and service where Christ is magnified and perhaps others helped who are headed for the same type of disaster. For those who are divorced and remarried, God loves you and he wants you to live for him in your present marriage. You see, another divorce is not option. Reconciliation with your first mate is not an option. But there must be an end to the horrendous pattern of divorce and remarriage that has been established in our land. Submit to God and his word and make a happy life.